Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Um, Tonight, we're getting in for a great night. And uh, tonight features a story just to show you the direction that we're going tonight, a story of um, me and my wife. Now, um, Alyssa and I, um, and particularly Alyssa, very expressive girl. Very, very, very expressive girl. And let me tell you, it's not hard to know when I've done something wrong, okay? Um, And it's just one look, one very simple look for Alyssa. And uh, part of the joking that has, uh, has, um, has developed in our marriage is this little symbol here. And she holds her, uh, her hand out like this, and she goes like this. She goes, do you know what this is? And I say, no, Alyssa, I don't know what that is. She says, this is you walking on thin ice. <laughs> and now, and now. So recently, Alyssa and I, um, and this is where we're going tonight. This is what I prophetically feel tonight, okay? There's a couple of things that I prophetically feel tonight. Um, One time we were in, um, so recently we got the opportunity to go to Japan. And um, Alyssa and I made each other a deal. Um, We'd go to Disneyland for her and she could, and we would, we dressed up in the full Disney outfit to thoroughly enjoy the experience of Disneyland. But that meant that we also got to go to the theme park that has the fastest and tallest roller coaster in the world. Okay, so if we're going to go to Disneyland, we were going to go to Fuji Q, which is, um, um, she got the pleasure of getting up at like 4am and and taking the four-hour train to get to Fuji Q. So um, when we were at Fuji Q, um, I would pull her onto all of these rides. I would pull, and there was no one there. It was a freezing cold day. There were no tourists um, in Japan at at this stage, and so we would uh, we would run on these um, run onto these roller coasters, basically zigzag, 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 no line, straight onto the roller coaster. Now um, there was one that um, uh, was closed all day. Now you have to understand, I love my wife. In fact, she's the most important person in my life. Other than Jesus, she's it. A lot of what I do now centers around her and our family. And it, I'm, I'm stoked about that. That is, it's the greatest privilege ever. It is, it, it feels so natural and so right. And I'm so grateful to God that he got me to the place where I was able to marry Alyssa. She is my love now. But when this closed roller coaster opened and all of the people who were in the park by this stage about three hours after it opened started running to the line of this roller coaster to get on first. Well, I just thought she was running along with me. <laughs> and so I am sprinting for the world's tallest, fastest, longest, whatever roller coaster, sprinting. And as I'm one of the first, because I'm a pretty fast runner, um, <laughs> as I'm one of the first, and they usher me to my seat, I look over my shoulder and there is no Alyssa. So I get on the roller coaster and I have a great time. And as I get off the roller coaster, there is my wife. 
I prophetically feel tonight that God wants to deal with the issue of getting distracted away from being with our Jesus, with our first love, getting distracted by the shiny thing, by the opportunity, by the um, by whatever the world throws at us. Because I find that as I look around the room of exceptional people, that there is an assignment of distraction going on to get us not to say no to Jesus, not to abandon Jesus, but to simply forget about Jesus. Now, second thing I'm, I'm prophetically feeling, and they tie in, okay? Um, I've been studying the book of 1 Samuel, and there's this really interesting story in 1 Samuel chapter 5, and, and, it, and, it, and it ties in perfectly, I think, with the message tonight. But after I say it, I'll basically leave it at that, and we'll just, if it means something to someone, then you can go read it yourself. Um, <laughs> Is that bad to say? Was that rude? I'm so sorry if it was rude, Pastor Karen. Apologies. So 1 Samuel chapter 5, such an interesting, such an interesting story. Um, and God really challenged me on it. Um, it's the story of uh, the, the, the Israelites, God's people, um, getting captured and, and getting um, defeated by a foreign army, an, an enemy army. And they capture, the, this enemy captures the ark of God, which symbolises to us his presence. And they take the ark of God and they think, we're so awesome, these, these, these enemies, we're so brave and we're so awesome. They capture the ark of God and they go, ha, huh, this, 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 this God of Israel, one of their gods, well, what we're going to do is we are going to go and we're going to put this ark at the, at the, foot, at the feet of our God, Dagon. And we're just as a symbol that, look, our God has defeated your God. And so what happens is they put it in the temple at the feet of Dagon and the ark of God is sitting there and they lock up for the night. And when they open up the temple the next morning, the, the God of Dagon, this big statue, has fallen down and he's now lying as if it was worshipping the ark of God. And they start to freak out. They start to freak out and they hope to Dagon that it was a coincidence. They shut up again for the night. The next morning they go into the temple and this time where the ark was sitting and Dagon was towering over the ark like a victorious god, the, the, the statue of Dagon had again fallen over as if worshipping the ark of God and then smashed into pieces. Again, they're freaking out. And what happens next is the power and the presence of God in an enemy's camp. Now a plague starts to break out in the enemy's camp. And so what they do is, what they do is, is they send the ark of God away because they know that this means trouble. Here's what the Holy Spirit said to me, that an idol and the presence of God cannot coexist. We either get rid of the idol or we get rid of the presence of God. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that, Jackson, you have been, that the idols in your life have been knocked over by the goodness and the grace of God, but you keep on re-erecting the idol. And then you wonder, why is God not present in this area of my life? And God is saying, Jackson, tonight, and I do mean that, by the way, I really do mean that I am preaching to myself. Jackson, tonight we're dealing with the idols. We're dealing with the things that would distract you and rip you off from your destiny. So we're going to read 
from the book of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And uh, we're going to go real quick through this. Here we go. Again, the Israelite army has now been defeated and captured by the Babylonians. And all of Israel is now enslaved to the Babylonian army. When Jeremiah, you guys know the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good, not for evil, for a future and a hope. That was prophesied into these people who were captive to the Babylonians. That They will be free after 70 years because um, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So this is the captivity that they're in. It's a time of deep defeat for the, for the people of God. It's a time of real sadness. It's a time of heartbreak. It's a time of division. It's a time of just dreams shattered. It's a, it's a time of deep pain. And here we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1. It says um, from verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered his chief of staff to bring to the palace some, some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only healthy and good-looking young men, he said to his chief of staff. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with the following Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. I'm going to get these names wrong. Apologies. So sorry. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. And Azariah was named Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. We're going to jump down to verse 18 for time. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom or balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Okay, so here's what I'm feeling. As I consider Horizon Church and and particularly our Sunday night service, I feel that as a collective, we are Daniels in the making. I look around and I am like, as I, and I could go through, for those I know, which thankfully is most, I could say you are and I are, we are Daniels in the making. Like we are, and I'm looking at a room full of exceptional people, very talented, just like they said about Daniel, very good looking, <laughs> amazing people. However, though we're capable, talented, unique, gifted, wise people, I don't believe that's the full extent of what God has on our lives. You were born with all of these gifts and talents, all of this wisdom. You are amazing and we are amazing. But I do, not, I do not believe that it is the fullness of what God has for us. You don't have to be switched on to notice that we have people in this room that either are or will be 
an un, like, like an uncommon percentage that will be very successful, very wealthy, very influential, will get so many opportunities, will get selected for so many things, will be easily noticed in the crowd at your company. But again, I do not believe that that is God's plan for you. Because if I'm being completely honest, as I look at our society, there are lots of really talented individuals. Lots of really wise individuals. Lots of really influential individuals. In our companies and in our workplaces and in, sitting next to us in the university lecture, lots of amazing people, lots of really crude businessmen and women at TAFE sitting next to you as you do your Thursday TAFE course. Lots of people that are at a base level, amazing, influential, will get noticed, opportunity, great personality. But when I read 2 Timothy 2 verse 20 to 21, this is the sense that I'm getting. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honourable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. You see, MBA programs and the right company or the right boss will develop you to be an awesome person. But it is God who anoints you for something special where it isn't just you're a good influence in your school for five or six years while you're there, but that you would leave a mark of eternity wherever you go. I believe that as we look around the room that we are Daniel's in the making, where at base level, yes, you're exceptional. But as we follow God, when the King looks at us, it's not that you're just exceptional, it's not that you're just chosen, it is, wow, you are 10 times better than the rest. There is actually no words to describe what it is about you that I can't put my finger on. This ungodly king, I cannot put my finger on it. But there is something special about you. There is something of a touch of God. Something that leaves a long-lasting impact, not a momentary, wow, you did something good. Something special. But the call for us as believers, and I feel the, 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 the... The key here, and it was in that verse, is our purity. The prerequisite from being, from transitioning to natural ability to a touch of God is purity before God. And here we have a story of Daniel who, it is a time of deep disappointment, deep pain, deep, deep anguish in the hearts of people. And here's Daniel and he is selected by the king to enter the royal service. And the Babylonian king is like, let's go round up all of, the, all of the top tier of Israel and let's make them one of us. Let's put them to use. Let's not get them to build bricks and build houses or, or, or work in the fields. We're going to put the top tier in royal service. And so here we see Daniel arrive for training. And he notices a couple of things. Firstly, they change his name. They change it from Daniel to Belshazzar or whatever it is called. Secondly, they start to feed him. Okay? And they start to, uh, 
try and give him a food where he will just become real big and strong. And it was all because you got to eat from the Babylonian table. And then third, they tried to sell him the dream. They tried to sell him the dream that you don't have, guess what, Daniel or Belshazzar, you don't have to make bricks anymore. We're going to use you for something. You are going to be a royal servant. And the goal here was for Daniel not to reject the God of Israel, not to say no more God of Israel. The goal here was to distract Daniel away from the God of Israel, to just get him to forget, to forget that he's got a special call on his life, to forget that he's not clay and wood, that he's actually gold and silver and precious metals. And so here we see Daniel determined, I will not get distracted away from God. And here's what we see. We see Daniel's job change throughout his ministry. His lifestyle changed. His community changed. His wealth changed. His circumstances changed. The laws changed. His personal safety changed. His colleagues changed. And his standing before his boss changed. Yet Daniel continued to rise through the ranks to be a shining light in the darkness of a broken and painful world. Daniel continued to exercise the touch of God that was on his life because he recognised, I will not be distracted away from the call of God on my life. A couple of disclaimers. God is not opposed to opportunity and promotion. This is actually about God wanting to use opportunity and promotion in our lives to do some real wide-scale, life-changing, eternity-changing work in our communities. I actually think that the biggest danger to the church, as I look at it and I consider our young adult, youth, young adults and young professionals ministry, the biggest danger to the church is not us getting involved with sin. It's us just being distracted enough to become common. Where we would tick the boxes of success, but affect no eternity change in our communities. And this isn't, this is the crazy thing. A common person in a, an amazing role, let's say CEO, I mean, I just looked at the, the Google, um, I'd love to be the Google CEO or the Alphabet CEO. His pay packet this year was something along the lines of 330 million Australian dollars, okay? But it's crazy, we think, we see that and I see that and my heart is drawn to the success of that. But God says when you are a parent and you've got the touch of God on your life to parent, that is more significant to Him. That will do more for Him because it is a part of your call and it's a part of the touch of God on your life. But see, what happens in my life is, is I start to get the shiny thing. <laughs> How can I look good in front of people? How can I just be part of the top echelon at uni? <laughs> How can I get noticed? I think the biggest distraction is us becoming common and not being the light in the darkness, the city on the hill. The saddest part, I've been a Christian since I was 14, so I'm 29 now and that's, that's 15 years this year. The saddest part about that journey so far has been that I used to have friends that were on fire for Jesus, but now they're living common lives. And no one's a bad person. And I am, in many areas of my life, I'm there as well. Okay? I am right there as well. But I have to discipline myself. Yeah. To use the analogy of Alyssa and I, 
don't run after the shiny roller coaster Jackson. Do not fall into the temptation. And everyone was running there. Everyone was running. Do not get caught up in the rat race to get to the elusive shiny object Jackson. What is the call of God on your life? What is God saying to you right now? Stay in that place because that's where the touch of God is for you. So can we look at the life of Daniel? Is that okay? Okay, three things that we can pull out of the, the story of Daniel and how he maintained that heart and love and devotion and, and, uh, for Jesus. Number one, my worship remains with Jesus. My worship remains with Jesus. Okay, this, um, this story is Daniel being selected and being part of the upper crop. I will make you special, says the world. Uh, the king says, I will be the one that defines how special you are. But I feel the Holy Spirit say, don't get caught up in that, Jackson. Don't get caught up in that. To the fact where, to the point where I and, 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 um, and others and maybe people in the room today, and we start to worship the opportunity that we're after. We start to worship uh, what we want God to do in our lives. We start to worship better times than what we're having right now. And what it does is it steals my worship. And so what I have to do is I have to recognise that there are other things competing for my worship. There are other idols in my world, in my life that are standing up like Dagon saying that the presence of God has to bow to this idol. But what I have to do is I have to do what um, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says. And it says, I will bring a sacrifice of praise. In fact, I will discipline myself. Nothing will get my worship except for Jesus. And the bigger the opportunities get in my life, the more you are going to find me with my arms lifted up and worshipping Jesus because I refuse, like Daniel, to fall into the trap of worshipping the opportunity. The higher we go, the lower we have to go before God. Lest we fall into the temptation of pride, right? Where we, where we start to think, I don't need God anymore. In fact, as I look around, the story of Daniel is he rose to the very top of an ungodly society. As I look around the room, there are dozens, if not a hundred of us that are called to rise to the top of a society and influence good change for our community. But as the opportunities keep coming, we're just gonna lift our hands higher and higher you get what I mean, in our hearts, higher and higher in worship. And thank God, I will bring a sacrifice of praise because my worship will remain with Jesus. Secondly, my identity remains with Jesus. My identity remains with Jesus. You know, um, one of the amazing things is not only have I seen some friends or some, some people that I, I started in youth with, um, um, like their fiery, amazing passion has either turned to, to leaving God altogether or just becoming a, a common when I know, my, I used to pray with these people. I'm like, I know you've got the call of God on the inside of you. The other side of the coin is I've also seen people who have rised up in amazing ways to do some amazing community change in, in, in our um, journey of being Christians. And you know what? 
unless I ask them specific questions, they will never tell me. And it is amazing to see that some of the people in this room right now, that you've built the most amazing businesses and you've raised the most incredible family against all odds and you've done some incredible things for God, I would never know unless I really ask. You don't walk around with a badge that says, look what I've done for God. Because your identity is not your resume. Your identity is likewise not your mistakes. Your identity is not your best day or your worst day. Your identity and my identity, it's not our parents. Our identity stays with Jesus. When Daniel, Daniel's name means this, God is my judge. If I can translate into our language, it means I'm living my life for Jesus. <laughs> That's what it means. Daniel's name is, it's like saying to Kira, um, hi, you're living your life for Jesus. That's his name. And the Babylonians changed it to say, to be called, protect the king. So your name was, your identity was, I'm living my life for Jesus. But now society, like the world is trying to change it to Protect the king at all costs. Here's your role now. So this book, Daniel, is written by Daniel himself. Do you know what's crazy as I read the book of Daniel? When he refers to himself, he calls himself Daniel. But when he writes how other people call him, they call him Belshazzar. Here's a lesson for me. It doesn't matter what the world calls me. It doesn't matter what success I have. And I don't have to correct anybody. I don't have to say, don't call me that, or praise to Jesus. But I have to take, yeah, are we hearing me tonight? I have to take the humble position in my heart and I have to discipline myself. My name is, I will live my life for Jesus. This is all for Jesus. It doesn't matter what my success is or my failures or my best day or my worst day or what people call me. It doesn't matter what's been done to me. I don't care what my parents are saying. I don't care. I am living my life for Jesus. I'm telling you on our journey to become Daniels, as God puts his touch on each of us and he raises each of us of us up, We've got to keep, as opportunities keep coming, I've got to present an offering of, of praise and worship to my God. And I've got to have that heart check of like, no, at the very core, I am God's son. It's his call. I'm chosen for special purposes. I'm his masterpiece. I'm his prized possession. I am his and he is mine. Call me what you like. I'll get the band up with me, please. That's all right. And number three, This is the biggest one, okay? This is the intense one. This is amazing. My source remains with Jesus. My source remains with Jesus. So um, I um, was, uh, uh, okay, well, look, fun fact for you, this is the first time I've ever worn these pants on stage. 
Alec is very proud of me. Um, he sent me a TikTok of um, millennials struggling to like transition from really tight skinny jeans to baggy pants, and it's a really hard transition to go on. Okay, um, so I'm I'm quite um, I'm quite safe uh, 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 fashion-wise. Um, that is why when I walk into church, uh, 90% of this room will say to me, "Oh, new shirt," <laughs> because I wear the same shirt every week. <laughs> Um, in fact, this entire outfit is what I wore last Sunday night, um, and it has been washed. Okay, so um, I say that to say, um, okay, I'm pretty proud of this outfit. <laughs> um, with Alyssa's help, I'm getting cooler, and cool has never been my strength, ever, once in my life. Still not my strength, well, won't be my strength. I have great other strengths. I can dominate any equation that you give to me. So. I'm, point of the story is I'm getting cooler, but I never was very cool. Um, I used to have a mop, um, so really long curly hair, um, and uh, I, I dress badly. Um, my, my lisp has gotten better as I've gotten older. Praise God. Praise God for that. Can we just offer Him a sacrifice of praise? Praise God. Praise God. You know, when Alec came to church, he's one of my best friends, by the way. Sorry that I'm picking on him. But um, when Alec came to church, he's like, oh, look, because I used to stand on stage and invite people to Exo Day. Um, and because we run this thing in our church, uh, in our school called Exo Day. And um, Alec goes, oh, look, it's the Exo Day guy. Oh, look, there's the Exo Day. Because I used to get up. So Alex put his head in and said, it's meant to be funny, people. He's not a bad person. That was to illustrate. <laughs> I'm very sorry. That was to illustrate. I used to have a really bad list. So when I was in year eight and um, I met Jesus, I had a literal radical transformation on one night. Um, I was a completely different person. My mum picked me up from youth that night and even she will tell you that night, like there was such an intense change. Can I say to you tonight that if you are here tonight and you are hearing this message and first time in church or first time in a long time, can I tell you that God has a plan for your life? And whatever you're feeling on the inside, I, I felt so much hurt and brokenness and pain. And the main one was anger, so much anger. But yet when I met Jesus on that night, man, everything changed. When I met Jesus though, I was, my whole school, um, my whole year group rather, was all coming to youth. Like all of us were coming to youth. And um, I also want to say to the teenagers in the room, it, that is not an impossibility because I got saved in the middle of that, right? So my whole year group is saved. I'm one of the last to meet Jesus. We're sitting in, um, in a, a room at school called A11 and we're waiting for a teacher called Mr. Cleese who never turned up. And uh, so we're all sitting waiting for our PDHP teacher. Shout out to the Crenella High people, yeah, represent. Um, so we're all waiting there, waiting for our teacher. And I remember sitting on a desk and we're all talking about, this is how many people had, had come to youth and, and were like engaging in faith in youth. We were all having a conversation about youth and church and faith, right? And I remember sitting on a desk and we're all talking and, and someone asked me, what about you? And I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll follow Jesus. But that whole sex before marriage thing, nah, no thanks. No, no way. Now, it's so funny because I said it like I was going to get some and I was the like, most awkward kid, right? I said it so confidently. I was like, no. 
remember so clearly sitting there four, five, six weeks after I got saved, my mop hair, super, like, super skinny, terrible fashion. And there I was making a statement like that. And do you know what? It's really understandable that I made a statement like that. It's really understandable. As a youth pastor now, if a year eight kid came and told me that, I would say, mate, that makes a lot of sense that you would say something like that. Because though you've met Jesus, though you've had a life-changing encounter with Him, for the first 15 years of your life, mate, you've been eating the food of the world. You've been eating the culture. And that is a natural thing that the culture would say. Like that's what the culture does. And you've been eating it. So that's what you're going to say. And I never really made a big decision to, to change my view on that, to follow God in the area of my sexuality. But as I started to eat the kingdom culture, my life started to change. My views started to change. My priorities started to change. And though there were many um, roller coasters, right? Many shiny things, many job opportunities, many this and that that comes up in my way. My priority, because I've been eating of kingdom culture, my priorities were naturally with Jesus. So what happens to the Christian? Well, they start to say, I've got some really good food for you. Eat this, take this, eat of the world, eat of the world, eat of the world. Don't read your Bible. Uh, forget that page in the Bible, eat of the world. Don't go on a discipleship journey um, with your life group leader. Hide that area of your life and just eat of the world. Watch that stuff on Netflix and don't feel bad. Engage with that type of conversation, don't feel bad. And what ends up happening is there's an idol and an ark in the same room. And we've got a choice to make. But it's really hard to get rid of the idol or get rid of the habit or get rid of the practice that everybody else is doing. And so unconsciously, we make the decision to get rid of the presence of God. And now when we gossip, feels normal. Now when we watch that stuff online, I don't feel the conviction. Now purity isn't a value. In fact, it's old fashioned. Now I look on LinkedIn for like 5,000 jobs and I won't ask God what He wants to do with my life anymore. And the, the, the food, the cultural food that we've been feeding on kicks out the presence of God. But Daniel made a decision. He said, I will not eat of that food. The king is trying, he, he recognised, the king is trying to fatten me up and dull my appetite for God. I will not eat of that. And he says, test me. Test me. Oh, this is so powerful. He says, test me. If I'm not better than the rest after all of this is done, then I'll eat your food. 
you know, God spoke to me and, and He said to me, Jackson, you could read that as if He was confident that God was come, gonna come through. Or you could read that, that He was humble. And He said, I don't want to progress any further in my career. I don't wanna get any more fame. I don't wanna look better in front of everybody else if it means I have to compromise. So either, God, I'm gonna not I'm gonna not engage with that. I'm going to discipline myself and I'm gonna put myself in a famine, okay? And, and God, if you come through, that will be the sign that you're on my life and this is a yes from you. I believe that right across this room, where each of us, and there are areas in my own life, I'm really feeling God right now, areas in my own life where I don't feel the presence of God anymore. I feel Him in some areas, but I don't feel Him in others. There's a reason for that. There is a reason for that. And tonight, I see people on the altar saying, with no judgment, because it's me as well, saying, okay, God, come back into that area of my life. I invite you back into that area of my life. I also believe that there are some people and the enemy has distracted you with disappointment. God, come back into that area of my life. I will not feed on that anymore. My worship, my identity belongs to you now, God. I am saying, come back into my life. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.